You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We saw last week, um, working through uh, chapter 3 here, that the, the gospel is about Jesus uniting both Jew and Gentile alike. Uh, we, we've been seeing this uh, over the past couple of weeks even. Um, but we saw last week particularly how the angelic beings look into this with amazement, right? That the angelic beings are amazed at what is transpiring with the gospel uniting people that are so different, with different backgrounds, different uh, upbringings, bringing them together as one. The angelic beings are amazed by this. Uh, they, they can't comprehend the wisdom of God, but they're seeing it play out. We saw in verse 10 last week, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He says in verse seven, it's of this gospel that I was made a minister, Paul says. So yes, the gospel is all about Jesus saving individual people from a destiny in hell to an eternity in heaven. But it's also about him taking people from all over the world and uniting them in one body, right? And so the gospel's bigger than just us. It's about the church and it's about the church being a diverse presence of God's people. We saw that uh, we want to avoid reducing the gospel to this individualized plan. We want to allow the gospel to keep us humble, as Paul talks about being the very least of all the saints. He's very aware of his sin, uh, but he's not crippled by it because he sees him being a useful piece in God's plan. God is giving him this ministry to, to reach the Gentiles. And so the gospel reminds us of our sinful past, but it doesn't cripple us. It empowers us to be used by him. Um, and then we saw at the very end of last week the suffering that we endure and how we can endure that in such a way that encourages us and encourages us uh, to encourage others. He says in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And so I challenged you at the end last week to see your suffering through the lens of God's overall bigger picture, bigger purposes. We can stay encouraged in our suffering but to also remember that other people are watching us as we suffer. And Paul says, hey, as you see me suffering, as you see me being imprisoned for the gospel, I ask you not to lose heart. I ask you not to lose heart because Paul always saw these advantages in his suffering. He always saw the gospel going forth in new and fresh ways in light of his suffering. And so we want to be faithful to do that too. Let me read for us our text this morning, starting in verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Our summary sentence for today. God provides the supernatural ability for us to carry out his plans for the gospel by giving us the strength needed to change our inner beings and the strength needed to comprehend his love together. Paul is praying for something very specific. He's praying for supernatural ability for us to carry out the plans that God has for the gospel. And what we're gonna need to be able to do that is the strength to have our inner beings changed and the strength to comprehend this great incomprehensible love that God has for us. For our kids, God changes the hearts of Christians 
by his love so that we can live for him. God changes the hearts of Christians by his love so that we can live for him. Paul starts in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, Paul started this prayer but didn't finish it, right? So at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he begins to uh, carry on a discussion about his ministry, the ministry to the Gentiles. And so now he's coming back to that original thought, this original thought that for this reason, I am bowing my knees before the Father to pray for you as the church. And so it begs the question, what is, it, what is this reason that he's been motivated to now pray? Well, if you think back to what he's talked about in chapter two, I think that's the context of the prayer. And we saw in chapter two, that individualized picture of how we were dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, and God raised us to life through the gospel, through Jesus. We've been saved, but not just to be individual Christians, right? The rest of chapter two goes on to say that we have been saved to be united with other people for the church. The church, this picture of God's holy temple with stones, living stones that are being used to build this great temple up, right? And so it's that picture, that gospel that motivates Paul to pray for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Because the gospel is about uniting Jews and Gentiles, I bow my knees before the Father. I think it's important to note that Paul's prayers were shaped by his comprehension of God's plans and will. Think about it. He's praying for what has been revealed that God wants, right? That's not to say that we don't have time in our prayers to pray for things that we're not sure if they're God's will or not. We pray for certain things for God to do or to provide, not knowing if he will. But how much more should we be praying for the things that we know are God's will, like that we know that God desires to answer? He's, he's revealed his plans to us, particularly in this area that Paul's talking about. Man, he wants the church to be united. He wants the church to seek reconciliation when there's broken fellowship in the church. He wants us to be open and welcoming to those that come to be a part of local fellowships. He says, I'm praying in light of these things. I'm praying for God to work and to move, to give you the power to carry out this will that God has revealed. His overall gratitude and awe about the gospel, the fact that God is uniting Jews and Gentiles, it's motivating him to pray. And there's an aspect of humility here where we see him bowing his knees before the Father to pray. We see an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and his authority in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I think this verse could probably be understood in, a, in maybe two different ways because it's not totally clear what Paul has in mind here because the Greek word for family could mean fatherhood, meaning from whom every father in heaven on earth is named, meaning that every father finds his source of fatherhood in the ultimate father, that we even have an understanding of mother and father because God has revealed that as the heavenly father that we worship, right? Um, but then also just the fact that we find our source as believers in, in our heavenly father, right? We've been seen that we've adopted and we've been adopted into his family. And so Paul's simply acknowledging the fact that, hey, God's in control, God's sovereignty, his plans are supreme. Every family in heaven and on earth is named or finds their source in him. Paul is motivated to pray. He's motivated to come to his knees for the gospel that he's been describing. And I think we're going to see today that Paul chooses to pray intentionally for two specific areas, two specific areas that he believes will be necessary areas of growth 
if the cause of Christ is to be visualized in the church. Okay, so let me say that again. Paul's been describing the gospel, both how it works for us individually and how it works for us corporately, how we're rescued from our own individual sins, and then how we're brought together and united as this picture of the body of Christ. So he's praying now for this this gospel that he has described and taught about to be visualized, for it to be seen and experienced. And he says, I'm praying because I think there's two things that are going to have to happen for this to really be visualized the way that God wants. And so he's going to pray for these two things, for these believers to experience these two things so that they can live out the gospel appropriately. Think about what's being asked of us in parts of the gospel. We're being asked to come and submit ourselves to Christ, to his plans, to his purposes, and to set ours aside. And that's not always easy, right? We've been rebels for so long. God steps in, intervenes, and saves us and brings us to him. And now we're expected to set aside our wants and our desires and our needs and to submit those to his plans and purposes. And that's not easy, right? And then on top of that, he's also calling us to love and to serve people who aren't always like us who don't always see things the way that we see them, right? So these are, these are two big things that are being asked, that we're to come to Christ and to experience a change in allegiance. No longer am I going to do the things that I want to do. I'm going to do the things that you want me to do, Jesus. And on top of that, I'm going to be open and receptive to people who aren't like me to come in and do this with me. And so what Paul's saying is that that takes supernatural power. Like that takes something that you can't, engineer or manufacture yourself. You can't just wake up and say, hey, I'm going to do this. He's saying this takes like a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in you to change you. We need the power of God to work in our hearts or else, listen to this, we will act like Jonah. Think about what we talked about when we went through the book of Jonah. Here's a guy who is a follower of Yahweh. He's a part of Israel. He's in submission to God. God comes to him and says, hey, we're going to go share me with the Ninevites. And Jonah says, no, we're not, right? We're not going to do that. Not because I'm scared, not because I'm hesitant, not because I don't want to be a missionary and leave my family behind. He says, we're not going to go do that because I hate those people. Those people are abusive and they're wicked and they've been those things towards us as your people. We're not going to go share about you with them. Right? Jonah says at the end of the book, after he is you know, made and changed to go do it, he says, this is exactly why I didn't want to do this, because you're not going to judge them now. You're going to save them. You're going to spare them. And I hate these people. Right? If we're not careful, if we don't have supernatural power working inside of us, we're those type of people too. Right? We don't like people who aren't like us, and we'll reject them unless the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. We'll be like the non-prodigal son who stayed at home with his dad right? And the prodigal son runs off and lives his life and screws everything up and then comes home wanting to just be a servant. And daddy's there with his open arms to receive him. And the non-prodigal son is saying, I hate this. I hate your love. I hate your mercy. I hate your grace. I'm over here working my tail off. Where's my party, right? And the implication of that story is that the non-prodigal son wants to kill his dad for it. Like he hates his dad that much, right? If we're not careful, we're the same type of people, 
right? We hate God's mercy and grace towards others when we feel like it's not being directed towards us. We need supernatural power to change our inner beings if we're going to live out this gospel, if we're going to be a visual representation of the plan that God has for the gospel, that is to save individuals, to then unite individuals with other individuals, to make this people of God that's made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, that type of gospel has the angels and the demons looking at it and saying, I don't get it. I don't understand how God gets to do this. I don't understand how his power is powerful enough to take people who hate him and then love him. People who hate other people and now love other people. It's amazing to the angelic beings who see this. And for us to be this, Paul says, we're gonna need to pray for some things to happen because you're not good enough on your own to do this. So look what he says. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Number one here, pray for the strength to be changed inwardly so Christ can dwell fully. Pray for the inner strength. Pray for the strength to be changed inwardly so Christ can dwell fully. Paul says, I'm bowing my knees before the Father. I'm praying specifically that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you can look at this and say, well, as a Christian, isn't Jesus already dwelling in my heart? Like, isn't he already there and present? Absolutely. But this word that Paul chooses to use carries a deeper connotation just than Jesus coming into our, our life initially. It's him coming in and setting up shop, like setting up a permanent residence. Like I am here. I'm not renting. I'm owning this place, right? Those of us that have rented before, you know, you're, you're kind of hamstrung as far as like you can't do a whole lot to that rental property because it's not yours. And so even if you did invest money, you're never going to get a return on it because it's, it's owned by somebody else. But when you purchase your first house, and you begin to make changes to it, you can because you own this facility and you want to set up shop now to where you can live here for a long period of time, right? That's what, God, that's what God's doing in our life. He has sent Christ to live in us and to set up shop to dwell in us fully, to bring about the change necessary. There's a great little pamphlet book called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Munger. I've used this before in some of my discipleship relationships. It's a, like an allegorical story of a guy who... Um, basically opens up his heart, but it's viewed it through the lens of a home. And so he and Jesus kind of walk through his heart, walking through his home and examining different areas, examining his kitchen and his dining room and where his, his passions and desires are lived out, examining his closet and where certain things are hidden and tucked away. And through the, the, the tour of his home, Jesus continually comes back to the fact that, hey, I live here now. And these things aren't off limits to me. I own these things now. And so I'm going to define how we use the various aspects of the home. That's what's being pictured here by Paul. He says, I'm praying that your inner being is strengthened by the power of the Spirit so that Christ can come in and dwell in your hearts through faith. This is part of that mystery that Paul's been unpacking for us, right? Not just that Jews and Gentiles come together, but that Christ is dwelling in believers and not in temples and tabernacles that he's dwelling in believers, this mystery that is being unveiled before us. We pray first off to God 
with a limitless reserve to supply what we need. Paul's praying that this power to change our inner beings would happen, and he has confidence that it can happen because he says, according to the riches of his glory. Our Father is not only sovereign, he's rich. And he can supply every need of ours, Philippians 4.19. He's got the reserve to do it, and then he has the willingness to, get to do it. We saw Matthew 7, 7 through 11, right? Even bad daddies on earth give their kids good gifts, right? Even bad dads give good gifts to their children. How much more does our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, give perfect gifts to his children? Now, they're spiritual gifts, right? Not earthly gifts, not material gifts. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But he has an unlimitless supply of resources and riches to give us these things that we need spiritually. No Christian need worry about having adequate spiritual resources to meet the demands of life. No Christian need worry about having adequate spiritual resources to meet the demands of life because we've been given every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1 tells us. Now, think about this. Have you ever been in a situation where you were potentially going to be expected to pay something that you did not have the riches or the resources to pay for? Or you were just in a setting where you were more conscious of it than maybe everybody else. Some of us, maybe even right now for you, you're in a spot where when you go to the grocery store, it's not a matter of just grabbing the things that you need. You're actually meticulously looking at the prices of those products. You're trying to determine, am I getting the name brand Cheerios or am I getting the Walmart version of Cheerios? Because that dollar matters, right? Some of us have been in that spot where, man, we're not just going through and grabbing our groceries. We're going through and grabbing specific groceries, right? Because we don't have the reserve to meet that need potentially. Um, you ever find yourself in a rush? Like sometimes when you're out of town, you go to a restaurant. You ever find yourself in a restaurant where they hand you the menu and there's no prices on the menu? Like I panic. I panic because I automatically realize I'm where I shouldn't be because everybody else eating in this restaurant must have the type of reserve where they don't care how much this burger costs how much this steak costs, right? Like I'm the guy that says, hey, I want to order this and I want a honey mustard on the side, but does that honey mustard cost or like, does that come free, right? Is that free of charge or do I have to pay 25 cents? Because if it's 25 cents, I'll just use the ketchup, right? <laughs> I've been in restaurants before where I get the menu and there's no prices and I'm like, oh no. Like I don't have, I don't know. Like I don't know what I'm ordering here. Like I start going off what I think sounds the cheapest because I'm panicking <laughs> as to what that dollar sign is going to be when the check comes to me right? You don't go shopping for Ferraris on Labor Day weekend hoping to find a Labor Day sale, right? You go shopping for Ferraris because you've got riches beyond measure that you can just walk in and say, I want it because it's the color that I want. It's the condition that I want. And you don't care how much the price is, right? That's what we possess as believers. We possess as believers a father who gives to us from the abundance of his riches where we don't have to look at the price tag, right? We don't have to wonder how much this is going to cost or whether our father can, can measure up and give us what we need. Man, he has a full limitless reserve where he can meet every need that we have. And so Paul prays and says, hey, God, we need some massive power here. And I know you have it. 
I know you have it because according to the riches of your glory is what I'm asking for, that you would give us this type of strength. So we pray to a God with a limitless reserve to supply what we need. Number two, we pray admitting we need to be changed in ways we cannot manufacture so our inner affections are altered to align with his plans. We pray admitting that we need to be changed in ways that we cannot manufacture, meaning if God doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. We can't make ourselves love the things of God over the things of this world. He has to supernaturally do that for us, and he does do it for us through the Holy Spirit. But we pray for this, knowing that it's his will. He wants to change our desires, so we can pray confidently that he will change our desires and that he'll help line up our inner affections with his plans. He's the maker. He's the creator. All of us find our source in him. We saw the way that Paul introduced this prayer. Every family in heaven on earth is named under him. His plans are good and perfect, and we want them, and yet our heart doesn't want them until it's changed. God must change the nature of our hearts with his power, or we can't live out the ways God desires. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We do not lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Man, God's far more concerned with what's going on inwardly than what is going on physically outward with us. As we get older and our bodies begin to decay and break down, we may feel like we're moving towards the end. But man, inwardly, we should be growing and maturing and coming to live in ways that we weren't previously in our life. Because as that maturity sets in, we start to see things differently and we're growing in such ways where we experience the love of God differently and that translates to us living differently. We need Holy Spirit convictions to set in. And this is where as parents it's so hard because we, we expect great things of our kids. We want great things with our kids. We have conversations about those desires and wants that we have for them. And then we turn them loose and realize the things that I'm asking for are huge. And they can't really happen unless something supernatural happens. Right? We can't convince our kids even to live the way that God wants them to live unless the Holy Spirit does something crazy in their heart and changes. But here's the assurance. God wants to, God desires to, and God can and he will. And we can ask for it and pray for it. Right? We need conviction set into our heart that says sex isn't needed outside of God's purpose because my full satisfaction and love comes from him. Conviction that says I can share my blessings with others rather than hoard them because my ongoing provision comes from him. Conviction that says I can do right even if others falter, even if others don't do right around me because my identity lies in what he says about me versus what others think. Man, for our teenagers in here, listen to that. Like, you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life that says, I will do right even if everybody in my school does wrong, right? Even if everybody in my school is offering me things or suggesting things that are contrary to God's word, I will stand and do right. Because here's the thing, there's not one of you in here that's facing a fiery furnace, right? Not one of you is going to get a fiery furnace in response to saying no to those things. You may get laughed at, you may get teased, you may lose friendships, but here's the thing. Just like Jesus was with those three Jewish boys in the fiery furnace, he will be with you in the hallways, he will be with you on the weekends when maybe you're ostracized because you're not doing what everybody else is doing. He will be with you in the midst of that. 
But you got to pray for the Holy Spirit's conviction in your heart for you to stand and not falter when those things are presented. Conviction that says I can forgive and I can seek unity with others when I've been hurt because he loved me, he pursued me, and he forgave me when I was his enemy, right? These are big things that we're called to be, purity, right? Generosity, integrity, this idea of forgiving our enemies. These are big things that we're called to be as Christians, and they're only possible if the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let him come dwell in your heart, right? And pray that he will. Pray that the Holy Spirit will, will change your heart so that you do open up every crevice of your heart's home and say, come be here. Come dwell here and come change me. The implication for us is that we need to be changed inwardly so we can express outwardly the fulfillment of the gospel plan to unite us in holy ways. We need to be changed inwardly so we can express outwardly the fulfillment of the gospel plan to unite us in holy ways. Because here's the thing, remember, we're called to reconcile with human beings so that we can be brought together as one people of God. And as one people of God, we are to function as his holy temple, his holy temple. Right? So the same type of regard that was given to the tabernacle and the temple, the Old Testament, the great care and intentionality of setting this place apart from the things of the world, that is how we're to treat our life. Our life is to be set apart and different, and that only happens through the inward change made possible by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, hey, what a great gospel plan that God has for us, but if that's going to be realized, we're going to need help. We're going to need massive help. We're going to need Jesus to come in and change our hearts. He goes on to say, halfway through verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Number two, we pray for the strength to comprehend his love so that we can love fully. We pray for the strength to comprehend his love so we can then turn around and love fully too. God's providing this supernatural ability for us to carry out these plans for the gospel, but we need strength to have our inner beings changed, and then we need strength to really understand the depth, the severity of God's love directed towards us, the implication of that love. He talks about us, the end goal being that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Now, it's, it's a weird expression because Jesus is also described as being the fullness of God in human form, right? And I don't think that that's what Paul's portraying here for us, right? We can't be the fullness of God in the sense of us being the full expression of God like Jesus is. But I, had a, I read a commentator who illustrated it this way. He says, 
picture yourself going to the Pacific Ocean and taking like a, a sand bucket and going into the ocean with that bucket and filling it up, right? You could say that that bucket is filled with the Pacific Ocean, but it does not have all of the Pacific Ocean in it, right? But it is filled to the capacity that that bucket can handle with the Pacific Ocean. And I think that's what Paul's desire for us here is and what he's praying for God to do in our life is that we would be filled with him to max capacity, right? That to the brim, we would be filled with who he is and what he wants, that we would be in full submission to his plans and his purposes, that we would be just constantly living in this mindset that if if I'm upset with somebody, I need to go to that person. If somebody's upset with me, I need to go to that person. If somebody's not like me, I need to love that person. That we would be living in a constant state of gospel mindset, fullness of God. And it comes with us deepening our understanding of God's love for us. So number one, we pray from a position of being loved and with full access being granted. Paul comes to a God who is rich to supply these needs, but then he also comes being rooted and grounded in love. Remember what he said in verse 12 of this chapter, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. How do we have confidence and boldness to go before God? Well, it's because our relationship with him is rooted and established in love. Think about what we've been learning in Ephesians. He's loved us from before time began, right? Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Before your life was ever a blip on the screen of history, he loved you and he wanted you and he planned for you. Man, we are rooted and grounded in his love before we even knew what love was. These two words here, rooted uh, and grounded, they're agricultural terms and architectural terms. The idea of us being rooted like a tree in his love, but then also like a building who has a strong foundation laid out in his love. He's loved us with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3 says. A love that cannot be overcome. Think about what Romans 8.31-36 says. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, no principality, no power, no angel, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The same love directed towards Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. The same love that they experienced. It's the same love that's given to us. And we don't have to separate it and say, well, they were Jewish. They were Israelites. They had a special type of love. No. The mystery is that as Gentiles, we are in that too. And we get the same type of love as all those Old Testament people we heard about in Sunday school. Same type of love given to us. He's loved us with an everlasting love. We pray from a position of already being loved. Number two, we pray to know his love more. Realizing to love like him requires us first to be loved by him. We pray to know his love more. Realizing to love like him requires us first to be loved by him, right? 1 John 4, 19 says what? We love him, why? Because he first loved us. We can't love the way that God tells us to love until we've experienced that type of love from him because his love motivates us to love others that way. When we realize we were his enemy and he loved us, then it empowers us to love our enemies too, right? We love him because he first loved us. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. We need to know God's love intimately and deeply 
not just for our own encouragement and our own assurance, but so that we can then be empowered to love others this way as well. The more we experience and know his love ourselves, the more we are driven to love others in the same types of ways. Look what he says about the love that we have in Christ. This love that we're supposed to know. He says that you will have strength to comprehend with the saints what is the, the breadth or the width of it, the length of it, the height of it, the depth of it, to know the love of Christ that really you can't fully know that surpasses knowledge. But let's try to broaden our perspective about the love of God, even though we can't fully broaden it to the extent that God does love. His love is wide enough to embrace people from all parts of the world with all kinds of backgrounds, right? John three sixteen that he loves the world. He gave his son for the world. His love is wide enough to embrace all kinds of people. Think about back to the book of Jonah. He saved the mariners from Tarshish. Paul jump, or, uh, Jonah jumps on this boat. He's trying to flee from God. God starts doing great things upon that boat to get Jonah's attention. By the end of that portion of the story, these boaters, these mariners are worshiping Yahweh, right? He goes on to save the abusive Ninevites who wanted nothing to do with God, and all of a sudden they become humbled by the work of God. Rahab the harlot, right? An individual who had a wretched past. I mean, she's the type of girl that you don't want your daughter spending time with, and you're going to have a long, hard talk with your son if he brings her home, right? Like you want nothing to do with her, and God says, I want her, and I've always wanted her, and I planned for her from before time began, and I went and got her, right? He loves like that. He also loves the little boy who grew up in church, hearing all about the things of God, and it resulted in a prideful, pious type of attitude, right? Think about Paul, who grows up thinking, I'm better than everybody else because I'm an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee, right? Some of us have that testimony. Some of us don't have the Rahab testimony where we were in darkness and sin, and God seized us and rescued us from that. Some of us were so close to God and so prideful about it, and yet he broke into our hard hearts and awakened us to the fact that, hey, your good works don't matter, and it's all about Jesus. That was my background, right? So close to God and that I needed him in the same ways as Rahab needed him, right? He loves like this. He loves with a wide love where he brings all kinds of people in. His love is long and that it began before time and endures forevermore. Psalm 100, Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. His love is high in that it takes us to new heights in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. His love is high. He doesn't just take us out of hell. He takes us all the way to heaven to be with him. His love is deep enough to conquer our worst sins forever. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7, verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He cancels the claims of hell on our soul. His love is deep. 
So we pray to know this more. Number three, though, we pray to know this incomprehensible love together with all the saints. And here's where this pushes back against our individual mindset to think, oh, I'm good. I can read God's word. I can ponder his love and do that all on my own and skip out on being a part of the local church. No, look what Paul says. He says, I'm praying that this will occur, that this will happen, that you will have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints this love of God that surpasses knowledge. While his love surpasses our ability to understand it fully, we can grasp it more fully by reflecting on the various ways he expresses it, not just to us, but to others too. So here again, it's where we're needed. We need each other so that we can see how God loves other people so that we can better understand this love. We'll never fully understand it, but man, the more pictures we can get of it, the better. Think about the pictures that are given to us in scripture, because here's the thing. God says, you can't understand my love, but you better believe I'm gonna give you as many pictures of it as I can. I'm gonna increase your understanding of my love as much as I can. I'm gonna fill you to the fullness as much as I can. Hosea, a picture of what it looks like to love even when somebody's unfaithful to you. Man, he takes that picture of Hosea and Gomer and shows us his own love towards us when we are unfaithful to him. Israel, his love towards difficult and stubborn people. When we're difficult and stubborn, we can see the love that God has for us because he expressed it to a nation. His loving provision towards Daniel in the lion's den where he has stood for the right thing, he has done the right thing, and now he's under persecution for it and God stops the mouth of those lions. His loving provision Zephaniah 3.17, that love that we talked about when we were going through the Minor Prophets, a quieting type of love. Let his love quiet you, that passage says. I illustrated that by uh, talking about how when my son is crying in the middle of the night, typically all it takes is for me to go in there and to hold him and to surround him with my presence, and he is quieted by the love that I have for him, right? That's not a full understanding of God's love, but that's another picture of how he loves us, Right? Um, the prodigal son that we've already talked about, the forgiving type of love that he expresses to us. The shepherd who has 99 sheep but has lost one, he has a seeking type of love where he goes after us. Ultimately, the cross is the absolute best, fullest example that we have of his love. All of these together, though, are giving us as best a picture that God can give us of who he is and how he loves us. And he says, I'm challenging you to know this love more and more and more. We're called to try to grasp this love together in community with other believers, to discuss his love with each other by sharing stories of the ways that he's shown his love to us, to think and ponder about his love by studying the Bible together. The need is to see it when we don't always feel it, right? There's times when we come to a C group or a D group and we don't feel loved by God, right? Our circumstances are swamping us to the point that we don't see God. And we need others to help us see it, right? We need others to help us see the love of God when we're not seeing it accurately. God intends to shape us through community as we reflect on his gospel together. We gain a deeper appreciation of his love together with all the saints. The whole people of God are needed to understand the whole love of God. Together, we come together to help each other see this love that we can't fully understand. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's gonna give you the power to change your inner being to live out the gospel so that Christ may be in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Together, you guys are gonna learn and work together to know the depth of God's love. What's the breadth and length and height and depth? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why? So that you can pour it out to others. Man, so you can pour out the love that you've experienced towards other people that you interact with. Our identity or our implication here is we need to deepen our understanding of God's love for us so that we can deepen our expression of love towards others. We need to deepen our understanding of God's love for us so that we can deepen our, our expression of love towards others. I mean, think about all the relationships that we're called to love in. We're called to love our spouses. We're called to love our friends. We're called to love our children. We're called to love our enemies. God has stories and pictures for how he does all of those things, even when the love is not coming back to him, right? We're so prone to think, I'll sign up for that. I'll love like that as long as that person loves me back, right? We talked about when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, the golden rule is not treat others a certain way so that you'll be treated the same way back. The golden rule is treat others the way that you want to be treated, whether they ever treat you that way or not. Why? Because your loving father treats you the way that you want to be treated. And you can be satisfied in that. You can be satisfied in that. Our identity truths to remember. Every Christian has access to the interchanging power of God. That's available to every single one of you today. And you can pray for that today confidently and expect it to be given to you. Our kids can pray for this. Our teenagers can pray for this. Our moms and dads can pray for this. Our singles can pray for this. If you're in this room and you are a believer, you can pray that your inner being will be changed so that your desires align with his. Number two, every Christian has the incomprehensible love of God upon them. Every Christian has the incomprehensible love of God upon them. All right, we've got just a few minutes remaining. I told you earlier this week when I posted on The Realm that we were going to talk a little bit today about changes that are coming for the fall in regards to our small group ministry, right? So we, if you're new or if you're visiting with us, we have what we call C groups, our community groups that meet once a month. Uh, We meet in various homes in the area. Um, And then we also have what we call D groups, which are discipleship groups. And these are groups that then break off from those community groups. So our men meet together and our women meet together once a month to study the Bible together. Okay, so we we talk about that chapter that we're going to study in C group at the beginning of the month. We, We read it together, we break it up. And then we break up into men and women that month, and then we talk and and reflect upon what we've been studying personally, right? Um, Currently, we have three groups that meet. Uh, Ben uh, Schwarting and his family host a group. Um, My family attends that group. Uh, The Conaways host a group where Marcus and his family attend. And then Tyson and Adam, the other two elders in our church, they have a community group together that meets here at the church. So we've had three groups. We've had those groups for a while now. Um... But as you look around, our building is reaching the fullness of this building, right? And so those homes have started to reach the fullness of those homes too. And so that necessitates us making adjustments to grow. Now, here's the thing. Growth brings about change, and change is not always easy, right? But here's the thing. When we planted our church, we never intended to stay a small size, but we also never intended to grow 
to a point where we just kept taking more people in a central location. We always planted with the mind of we are going to grow with the purpose of spreading out so that we can grow more, plant more churches, right? And so we're going to start to experience some of that tension of reaching a fullness and how do we adjust and that type of thing, okay? So kind of step one in that is to expand upon our small group ministry. And so our small group leaders and elders, we've been meeting and talking and praying really for years, not just recently, but for years about how do we accommodate the growth? How do we, how do we welcome new people? Because here's the thing. We've got people today with us that are visiting that are not members that are prayerfully considering staying here. And we want to be a place where we open our arms and we receive these individuals as full members of this body, right? Full members of this body. They come in with all the benefits and all the privileges and all the fellowship, right? But to do that, we got to make room. We got to make room for God to keep bringing us people. And so what we're wanting to do starting in the fall is to really uh, double the size of our, our C group. So we're going from three to six. Um, what we're going to then ask you to do let me talk about who those groups are going to be real quick first. Um, so Bobby's going to continue to lead a group out of his house. Um, Ben's going to continue to lead a group out of his house. Um, and then we're going to have uh, the McLeods, Adam and Jen, are going to start leading a group uh, at the Wallace's house. So John and Amy Wallace just recently joined our church. They have opened up their home to be a host site where Adam and Jen are going to lead a group. So that's a little bit more towards Noonan. Uh, so their group's going to start meeting there. Um, Alex and Jessica have uh, opened up their home to where Marcus and Renee are going to start leading a group out of their home. Um, And then Tyson and myself are going to start leading a group as well. Um, We're still working out the details of locations, but Diana Butler, who just recently joined our church, has opened up her home in Turin. And so one of us will be meeting there for sure as well. So we're going from three to six. um, And our hope and desire is that that will continue to give us room to grow, continue to give us room to spread out. We've had a lot of kids since we first started our C groups, um, and we were grouped in such a way where the kids were manageable. Now this gives us more room to kind of flex out and expand where our kids can even go, because here's where you come into play. Um, get ready for this, right? Big, big reveal is you get to pick where you go. You get to pick where you go. So you're not going to be assigned to a C group like we've done in the past. You're going to get to choose which group you go to. That can be based on proximity. That can be based on you and a couple of friends saying, hey, let's go sign up for this group right? But here's the catch. Here's the, here's the thing, is that we want you praying about the right location for you, realizing that it's in this environment, C group, D group, where we are hoping to experience the type of inward change as we study God's word together, right? We experience an inward change that aligns our desires with his, and it's also the, the smaller environment from in here where we live out our love towards each other, right? So it's not just hey, let me just sign up for one arbitrarily. We want some intentionality between, between you and God as to where is the right fit for you, where's the right fit for your family as we do this. Now, you'll notice we kind of did it to where if you just want to stay in your group, you can. And if you just want to get some of the people to stay in your group with you, you can. Um, every group is basically split leader-wise into two, right? And so that gives you some flexibility to stay with people that you're familiar with if you want to. But if you're like, man, I've been looking for a massive change, a massive difference. I want to get to know other people in our church, then that's going to be afforded to you as well. And so, um, again, change is never easy. Obviously, uh, even my family's enduring change. We've been with Ben and Andrea and their group since we started 10 years ago. Um, So that's a change for us as well. 
Um, but it's a necessary change, I believe, to get us to where we want to be, and that's a place where we are continuing to grow. We're continuing to bring people in. We're continuing to see people, see people saved or people relocate that want to be a part of this church family. Um, what we're also going to do with our C groups is we're going to have what we call sister groups with those C groups. So the two leaders that split off, so that would be my group and Ben's group, that would be Adam group and Tyson's group, and that would be Marcus's groups and Bobby's groups. Those D groups will still meet up together for the discipleship piece. Okay, so what we're anticipating is our small groups are going to be smaller than what we've experienced, which is good because we're starting to max out these houses. But if some people don't show up for D group, well, now it could be just you because you may only have two or three other families in your C group. So we're going to have these sister groups. So our D groups are still going to be healthy and thriving as far as there'll still be plenty of people there to show up and, and talk and study the word of God together. So C groups will have sister groups that'll then meet up for D groups. Um, and so that'll help continue to create fellowship um, amongst our church body. But again, this is a change, but man, we're excited about the growth that we're seeing. We're excited about the people that God's bringing to us and he continues to bring people to us. And we wanna make sure that we're living out what we're seeing in Ephesians 3. And that's a mindset that says, hey, you're welcome here. We want you here. Even if you're not like us, even if you're different from us, even if you weren't here when we first started, we want you here because we believe you coming here helps us to visualize the gospel to this community better. We want people here, right? And so we're excited about this. Um, here's the other thing. It's just for a year. And then we're going to do it again every year. Okay, so what we want is to continually build in an evaluation of how are our C groups and D groups going? Do we need to expand and add more? Um, and do we have some dynamics that we need to change up? And so what we'll be asking for basically is for you to commit for the next school year to that, D, to that C group. And then next year we would do it again over the summer. We would have signups again for you to sign up for a C group. You can stay right where you want to. You can keep your friends right there with you if you want to, or you can branch out and expand um, your, your fellowship and your intimacy with other people in our church. One more piece of preview. We are going to be studying the book of 1 Peter um, in the fall. So we're going to be going through 1 Peter. It has five chapters, which is convenient because there's five months in the fall. Um, maybe that was intentional. Um, but we're going through 1 Peter. So if you want to kind of get a jump start and get ahead of the game, if you want to start reading some of that this summer, we are going to make some resources available to you to kind of help guide you in that study because our D groups are meant to give you an outlet to study God's word, to also share what you're studying with other believers, but also to learn how to study God's word if you're not as skilled in that area. And so we're going to give you some resources to help you with that study too. All right. So by way of application this morning, number one, start praying for God to give you daily power to further change your inner being while you reflect more and more on his love. That's our direct application from our sermon today. Pray that God will give you daily power to change your inner being as you reflect more and more on his love. Number two, start praying for wisdom regarding the right C group location this fall for you and your family to be changed and loved. If you're visiting with us, we're excited that you're here. If you're in the membership process, we're excited that you're in the membership process. If you just joined our church recently, we're really excited about that too. We want you to know that we want you here and we're willing to take steps to make sure that you can be here and that you can experience the depth and the intimacy that we've experienced as we've grown over the years from being a smaller church to a not as small church. Um, we want you here. We want our members to, to be able to live out what we're talking about here and that's to be a, a place that embraces new people 
embraces them for the sake of the gospel. So we're excited about that. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the love that you have for us. We are so grateful and thankful that you love us with a width and a height, a depth and a length that we just can't comprehend. And God, as we see these different stories and illustrations and examples, God, we we praise you and thank you for these different pictures, these glimpses of your love. And God, I pray that we would be consumed with knowing you more and more in the ways that you love us. Not just so we can feel loved, but so that we can turn around and love others the ways that you've called us to. God, help us to realize that the more we experience your love, the more we can share that with others. God, give us the power through your Holy Spirit to have our inner beings changed like we need to be changed so that we can live these things out that you're calling us to. We want to be a visual representation of the gospel. We want to be a place where people are being united from all walks of life, where walls of hostility are torn down, where even walls of capacity can be torn down so that we can welcome anew people that you are working in and moving in. God, I pray that as we come together more and more and as you, as you bring others to join with us more and more, that we would be that visual representation of what it looks like to be living stones joined together in your holy temple. God, I pray for our, our kids and our youth that are experiencing levels of temptation that most of us never saw at that age. God, help us not to expect them to live out certain things in their own power. God, I pray that we would leave today driven to pray to pray for our kids, whether we have biological kids here or not, that we would pray for the spiritual kids that are here, that are underneath our care as adults in this church, that we would pray for them, pray for the spiritual power needed for their inner beings to be changed, that they would understand your love and that you would develop deep Holy Spirit convictions in their hearts. God, we love you and thank you. We thank you for that great reserve that's there that gives us all that we ever need. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.